This is episode 35, Hard Left. My guest today is former A&R rep turned financial planner, Jeff Seraphine. This is the Language of Creativity podcast. Nice. Excellent. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is cool. I've actually not done a podcast. Uh, Seriously? Yeah. Yeah. It's oh. been something I've been only talking about doing for the longest time. And yeah, so it's cool. Well, Welcome. It's nice to, it was nice running into you at coffee. It's like, yeah. I haven't seen you in um, eight I, no, no, years because the pandemic was a time warp. Yeah. There were yeah. That three years was like, it was either, ten, it felt like 10 years or it felt like 10 minutes. Right. Yeah. No, it was a weird, it was a weird lull for a lot of things. Uh, but yeah, no, it's been a while. It's been a minute. I mean, I think the last time we linked up, we grabbed some food somewhere and we went down some sort of existential rabbit hole, as we often do. I am hoping that <laughs> we share a very interesting existential rabbit hole at some point. I'm sure we will. It's I inevitable. Would, yeah. Um, I, I try to go down as many as I possibly can in a given day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was part of the, you know, you talked about procrastinating <clears throat> from something you needed to do today. And I called you last minute because tomorrow wasn't going to work. And I was like, hey, you want to do it? And you're like, yeah, it was perfect because I was going to procrastinate. For That's actually how this podcast started. Yeah. I was going to edit <laughs> guitar for a record we we're working on. And I said to my friend, I was working for, I'm like, do you want to record a podcast? <laughs> he's like, sure. So that ended up being the first episode of the show. Oh, nice. Okay. Best. So, yeah. So sometimes per procrastination can be completely productive. Yeah. No, I, I find it to be a very frustrating quirk of mine that I'm not only frustrated with myself, but I'm sure other people are frustrated with me about, but like it's, it is that procrastination that's sort of last minute. I mean, like when I was in college, you know, taking tests and stuff, I wouldn't study. I'm not condoning d to do that or go about that process. But for me, it wasn't like I was like, ah, whatever, it's no big deal. I always thought I was going to fail it, but then I would wait to the last minute until all the pressure was on and, you know, freaking out. And that's just, it's when I do my best work. <laughs> I worked with a producer who was like that, like literally only walks in. No, it, it was a director that I interviewed, the one who worked on Fast and Furious and mm. all the action direction thing. And that's what he said was he was like, I don't prepare. Mm -hmm. And he's, so it allows him to wing it. And his best creativity comes out that way. And his hack around that turned out to be that he always hires the same team. Mm -hmm. So his team has highly been refined in terms of people who, like his stunt coordinator is very prepared mm -hmm. about what shots they need and all the different th logistics of it. So that when he walks in as the second unit director, he's just like, oh, he's reacting to what's on screen. Oh, no, no, it's got to do this. You know, and he comes up with these ideas. And I thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> Yeah, you know, now that you say that, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people who have known me for like decades would attest to my winging it nature. But when I was in college, I had a professor, music theory, who from the get-go, from the jump, was determined to teach everyone jazz to a degree, like had jazz incorporated into music theory. Mm -hmm. theory. And 
would talk about how, you know, to learn jazz, he would say, I never forget, I use it with everything, even with everything that I do. I always quote him on this, which is probably a quote from somebody else. But he said that to know jazz music is to learn everything there is to know about music and then forget it. And then forget it. And then forget yeah. it. Yeah. And so I th- I feel like I take that approach to to life, to everything that I do is that I'm so analytical that I, I really just dive in and try to learn all of the things they are. And then I just, boop, I just wipe it away. And by procrastinating in a way, maybe I'm forcing myself to just kind of go off of muscle memory in a moment yeah. of those things. So, well, yeah. And honestly, all that stuff's still there. It doesn't go anywhere. <clears throat> you actually get more free. Like when you're at that point where you, you know enough of something that I, I started telling myself, because I overprepare and I, you can get into this really anxious state that way before doing mm. something big that you haven't done all the time. I started realizing that I've been preparing for, you know, 25 years in all these different ways. And so the only thing I need to bring is myself. Yeah. And it's true. Like if you're, if you learn the jazz and you know it, like you really don't have to, it's, it's like Victor Wooten says, it's like talking a language. You're not thinking really hard about how you're going to say the words that are coming out of your mouth right. right now. You're just in the moment. You're just, and that's what he says is like music. If music were taught differently, music would be like that too. Yeah. You pick up the guitar and you just say something. It's not like hard to think, well, what am I, how do I articulate the, am I, how is my tongue supposed to touch my teeth? Except you're not. Right. If you're doing that, you're tripping all over yourself, basically. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, no, 100%. Um, solid reference. I haven't listened to Victor Wooten in, in a minute. I think he was yeah. playing recently in LA. I was like, oh, oh man, he was that. at NAM. I got to meet him briefly. Oh, nice. And I couldn't get into the House of Blues show that he was playing. I really wanted to. That's what, that's, that would have been really uh, cool. Should have told me I got a hook up there. Oh, seriously. <laughs> well, I got a hook up at NAM. So, oh, you there we tickets, go. Let's, let's, yeah. let's see. Let's see. So, wait a minute. So, like, you started out in music. You studied engineering, and mm-hmm. you, I, I guess you studied jazz, so you played music as well. And then you took a, a hard left turn and went into financial stuff, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I've been, as is my life, I, it's all about hard left turns. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hopefully you're pulling the e-brake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm drifting into each movement. Um, yeah. Music has always been a big part of my life. It still is went to school for it. I, I studied every possible thing you could study in music, music theory, music production, audio engineering, artist management, um, even music therapy, you know, cognitive. Wow. I've, I've kind of done it all. Um, it was an expensive lesson to learn that I could have just maybe spent a year on YouTube, maybe <laughs> <laughs> doing some Google, but it was fun. It was good. You know, I got some good lessons and, and I got into the industry. I worked in marketing. I worked in, I had my own artist management company. I worked for the labels, Universal and Sire Records. <clears throat> and, you know, it's just when I look back, I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, when I look back on my life and I'm still young, I'm still going, I'm still learning. Um, I get this. <laughs> I feel I make the joke sometimes that like I feel like I'm doing research for a part, but I don't know the part. <laughs> you know, like it's like I'm just doing research for a role. Like I'm just stepping into all these different things. I mean, I've done everything, man. I've I've swept up popcorn at a movie theater. I was a barista once. I worked at a nursing home. I've done a billion different things. Wow. And, but music has always been my core. And I'll say that there was a point in time when I worked in music 
you know, when I worked in quote unquote the industry and I just, you know, I fell out of love with it. Mm -hmm. Um, it just became work. It just became like any other thing, a means to an end. And I, I just, I needed more money Mm -hmm. (laughs) and not the promise of money. Yeah. I needed to love music again. And yeah, so that's when just life kind of happened. Some personal stuff when I kind of set me down the path of financial financial services and advising and you know I that been financially it's been really good for me. Mm-hmm. But music again still my core. You know, it's, it's funny because I go to more concerts now mm. working out of the music industry mm-hmm. than I went to when I worked in the music industry and I worked mm. in A&R. <laughs> <laughs> And I would just, too often I sat behind like desks and just sifting through demos and like all that sort of nonsense. And Mm. it just wasn't, at least at the time when I was at the the labels, it wasn't the industry that I thought I was getting into. Like it wasn't Mm. as provocative as what I was hoping for or anticipating. And uh, what year was that? um, That might've been like 2000. 2007, maybe 2006, okay. 2007 was. Was when... this before or after Adele? Oh, that's a good question. Because um, my... that for me is the time when I feel like Adele single handedly saved music from auto tune mm. when she came out. It, mm, I, I want to say it was a little bit before. Well, you know when it was, it was still. Let's put it this way. They were still measuring CD sales when mm-hmm. I was at the labels. Mm-hmm. They were still holding on, you know, thinking that it was going to come back. But it was before the the financial market collapsed. And back when you would look at bands on MySpace, right? Yeah, MySpace was kind of fizzling out there. But, I mean, Napster still kind of existed even though they were on the back end of mm-hmm. <laughs> getting their asses handed to them which is kind of funny where we're at now with blockchain technology and that whole sort of peer-to-peer sort of file sharing and, and all that stuff it's it's interesting how things are but but yeah no it was back then and when the market took a nosedive that's when it just is really rough at the label it wasn't really all that fun for me so that's when i gave my notice at sire records and you know, it's kind of funny because I used to, and this is probably common for a lot of people that used to know. And I, so I used to work for this guy, Seymour Stein. Well, super, super well known. I mean, I think he passed away earlier this year. So rest in peace to him, you know, a legend in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and everything. But man, he and I did, we just, <laughs> we butt heads all the time. And, and the <laughs> nicest he ever was, was when, I, I w- said I wanted to talk to him before I left and we had a nice little meeting in his office and and he was just like, you know, he's like, you and I probably, we butt heads all the time. We get so angry at each other because you and I are probably too similar. He was <laughs> like, he's like, but I know what you're thinking. He's like, you're thinking that you're going to walk out of here and you're going to go work with the bands and you think it's going to be better. Oh, <laughs> right. And he was like, but I promise you it's going to be, it's, it's the same. It's just the same. Yeah. And or worse. Uh, oh yeah. Or wow. worse. I finally figured out, I had a friend who ran a label for 10 years and it was very indie and artist friendly, great label, great mm-hmm. person. But one of the problems was that I saw him go through again and again is that bands are so fickle 
mm. that you'd invest all this work into like making them ready and getting them an opportunity, <laughs> and then they'd change their mind. And someone would offer them something like really minimal and, and they'd be like, well, you haven't done anything for us for six months. So meanwhile, he's making these deals and they're about to play Warp Tour and he's about to give them this opportunity. And then they're like, oh, yeah, we, we decided to go a different direction or whatever. I, and it, it was this weird moment where I suddenly realized, OK, yeah, the music industry is a dark, dirty trench with rats and terrible things everywhere. And there's a dark side, right? You know, that yeah. was the quote. So it is, but it, it is usurious and all these things. The contracts were terrible coming out of the 80s, the 90s. And <laughs> there was a reason for it. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. if you're going to invest in one of the most speculative forms of investing your capital, which is like one in 10 records in the 90s, one in 10 records had a chance of maybe making it. Right. Maybe almost sort of kind of perhaps making it. Yeah. And so it's like you, you could definitely invest your money a number of better places than trying to make a hit record that's making recouping, basically. And so I'm not to condone the record industry, but to understand, oh, that's why. Yeah, it. I would... You know, people would, I have clients, I have people that I talk to more and more these days, you know, where when I get the inevitable, so what do you do? And I give them my response, like, oh, I do this, <laughs> this, and this. And it's just sort of the, the typical glazed over look. It's less sexy of a conversation. It used to be like, oh, I work at a label and blah, blah. And everyone's yeah. like, oh, that's so cool. They say, well, why, why did you leave? And I was like, you know, at a certain point, I think... Ultimately, the main reason why I left the label was because I felt it was just, it was so, you know, we were just exploiting other people's talents for mm -hmm. our gain. Like if I, mm -hmm. if me, I'm the hour in the label, it's like for our gain. But like once I left it, I, I he was right. Seymour was right. It was like, Oh, they're exploiting each other. They're, it's, it's a, a, it's a, it's a toxic relationship. It's a <laughs> it's exactly what it is. And that's why I got tired of working with bands too, because it was like you get people who they literally were like, okay, I just want to spend the minimum possible for this person's time and not and, and exploit figuring out what the bare minimum is we can come in and cut a record and and not care about like the quality and things like this. Literally just like, okay, so it's I'm a transaction for you. Yeah, it's transactional. It's everyone wants all, I'm a means all to of an end. All of the potential, none of the risk, very low cost to them or whatever. It's, you know, everybody wants that silver bullet. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Yeah, and I mean if, you know, if I'm slinging coffee at Starbucks, it's like everyone wants their coffee and that's like, okay, I'm going to pay how much do I got to pay? It's like yeah. when someone asks if they want avocado, $12, sure. Yeah. $14 for avocado toast? Sure. No problem. Just give me the avocado. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but music, it's like bringing sand to the beach yeah. these days. It's like, you want to buy my record? It's like, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you <laughs> Why know. Why should I care? And it, it's so funny. I think, I don't, I don't remember when it was, but like when, because I, I think at that time when I left the label and did my artist management thing, um, at that point, I had been talking about the idea of you just have to sell direct. And I know I'm not the only person that has thought this and definitely not the only person in the industry that has been trying to do this. But that's the only real way. I mean, nowadays, you should be able to cut out the middlemen, but it's still there's that old saying, right? The more things change, the more they stay the same. It's right. like there are more 360 deals today than there ever were. Meanwhile, the industry is so much better. You have exposure, opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Excuse me. And nothing's really 
changed so much. Artists are just feeling a bit exposed now, basically. It's just, well, in the Spotify royalty rate is atrocious. YouTube's right. atrocious. It's like pennies. Yeah. And it's, that's the part of the thing too, is that my dad said this years ago. He's like, you watch Netflix and all these streaming services are going to get bought up by all the major studios and all the major labels. Mm -hmm. They're going to do these sweetheart deals and then they're going to be making all the money and they'll be like, oh, well, we'll just let whatever artist like rises to the top of the algorithm, that'll be the one we sign and we'll get a piece of them and we'll send this horrendous deal with them. But it'll be yeah. like everything counts in large amounts, right? Yeah. You know, I still I think that music's at an interesting I don't know, inflection point, I guess, again, for me, at least in terms of like the music that I listen to. I listen to everything. I like everything, but I'm more pretty much most rock, anything rock oriented where it's whether it's like light, excuse me, or like the harder, heavy stuff. I know what to get you for stuff. Christmas. Oh, yeah. Old guys rule t-shirt right nice, now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I, rock, but, is, rock is here to stay. I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. rock, heavy sorry. metal, heavy metal, all that, that stuff. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's entering a new phase. But the reason why I bring that up is just because I just think of like bands that, artists that, that grind. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, while I am sympathetic to artists and not getting their fair share because they are getting hosed pretty much in all deals for the most part that I'm aware of, if we're talking about just their music, it's like they have to look at it differently. Like music, their album is really just marketing. So if they make mm. any money off of it at all, they should be happy with that. I know that's a little bit of a thing, but like at the end of the day, the bands that do go and stay. Silent tears. For, <laughs> like, all the audience that are pondering yeah. that right now. Yeah, it's like, but it's the performance. It's the experience. Like the mm -hmm. music, when I listen to an album, like how many times have I listened to an album? I'm like, oh, that song is good. You know, it hits. But then nowadays, especially a week can pass and some other band, some other single come out and be like, oh, this is cool. And I've already forgotten about the other thing. However, mm -hmm. if I go to a concert and that performance just like hits, right? Then every time I hear that song, it stays with me. It resonates mm -hmm. for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And that's what the song, when you're recording, right? When you're in the studio, you're trying to give them your all, your everything, and try to give them that essence of the live performance so that it can connect with those right. those moments. Totally. And I don't think many bands have really quite figured that out. I mean, the only one that I can think of, I mean, hell, is like Taylor Swift. Her tour, this tour, so my, my fiance is going to this show, right? Mm -hmm. A billion dollars is grossing. People are paying thousands of dollars for tickets. Yeah. Right? And That's she just re-released. Incredible. Yeah, a yeah. Re recording. It's because, but it's the songs resonate. It's when listening to the song, but also going to the concerts and having an emotional experience and all that stuff. So there's a connection. There's a reason why labels want these 360 deals is because they want a piece of all the action. If well, you're really good. if you look at Taylor though, she really connected with her fans. Yeah, she was one of those audiences. Like she was early on YouTube. She utilized it to really not just promote herself, but to create a connection. Right. And I think that's what you're talking about with live shows, too. If you can create a connection with your audience, it's, it's a lot different than just being like, hey, listen to my CD. Hey, here my, here's yeah. my link. You know, just like, and that's that's a big part of it is like when you are putting yourself out there, if you're 
building connections and you're building relationships and you're building experiences, those innately have value. Yeah. So it's not like just saying, here's this, here's the thing, please, please watch it. Right. There's no value in that for someone else. It's all just like, hey, can I have a dollar? That's how it feels, you know? Can I have a yeah. dollar of your attention, please, you know? Yeah. And the answer is usually no, man, that's creepy. Like, could you stop? <laughs> right. Yeah, you, you, you can't... You, you can't, can't confuse the value chain. I mean, you've got to give the person something. Right, yeah, and just giving them music isn't enough. Yeah. You, you have to give them some sort of experience tied to it. I mean, it doesn't have to be a live performance. It could be... I mean, you have so many different ways to deliver an experience to your fan base now. So there should be opportunities to carve out your own little niche. And then over time, it still grows. It still works out the same. I mean, like I think of um, so a band that I'm a thousand percent obsessed with, which I know more and more people are getting um, Sleep Token. Are you familiar with them? No. Oh, you got to listen to them, man. <laughs> oh, my God. So. Talk about random band name generator. I they, like that. They've been around for a little bit, but they're only just now, like just now, blowing up, especially in in the U.S. Um, but I mean, I think back in January they might have had I don't know a couple hundred thousand listeners on Spotify. Now approaching like three million. Wow, per month. Um, but. They're another one of those, like, it's still the same story where they're like, they seem like an overnight success, but they've been working at it for like, mm -hmm. for nearly a decade mm -hmm. and really honing their brand, their sound and all that sort of stuff. But, but they're, yeah, just, a, I, I, I was kind of, I knew I was coming on here. I was like, oh, I got to talk about Sleep Token because I've been obsessed <laughs> with them for like a year now. Well, what's special about Sleep Token? What really like hooked you? <clears throat> I, th I think... Sleep Token, Sleep Token actually is one of those bands now, for me anyway, I can only speak to my own experience with it, but where I did listen to an album and I was like, and it just slowly, it just washed over me time and time again. And then it just, it just kind of stuck on me like more and more. It's, it's like a new wave progressive metal. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so I'd be interested in that. That that is that is a little bit more transcendent. So it's not like when you think progressive, mm -hmm. like progressive rock, progressive metal is still niche even within rock. There are people mm -hmm. that are metalheads are like, I can't listen to Dream Theater, <laughs> you know, I can't yeah. listen to a twelve minute song or whatever. But like it's the bill every song is so well thought out in terms of not only the production. But every vocal, you know, nuance, every guitar stroke, every silence you can tell is just put exactly in the right spot. Mm. And it, it just, the story is like a really good story. Like you, mm. you can understand the lyrics. You can kind of, it resonates with you. There's an emo-ness to it mm -hmm. that um, I think anybody can relate to. But it's also got the thing that's, interestingly progressive about it in my perspective is that there are songs that like you could probably cut out two three minutes from the song mm -hmm. or try to get try to it'd be hard to get a radio edit but like get a radio edit mm -hmm. where it could be on like a pop 100 so like it has wow. like the electronic like drums it has like a little bit of an r&b vibe to it like it's mm -hmm. so i don't know it's really hard to describe like mm. 
I I highly recommend that you listen to the new album for sure. Mm. You can you will you... Well, see, and and you just demonstrated one of those ways that bands actually get big. Mm-hmm. I first heard of Lincoln Park in college yeah. when someone in my dorm was like hey, there's this band called Linkin Park. Check out this One Step Close to the Edge song. It's really cool. That was like a vote of confidence in this band I'd never heard of. So now I've heard of them. And now his was like, these guys are really cool. You should listen to them. Mm. And so your passion about uh, sleep... Sleep token. Token. Yeah. Now makes me curious. And so that's the social wealth component of music that is often overlooked is music as a scene. Yeah. And it's the bands that play with each other and the people who go to shows and they meet each other and they meet their future spouse or whatever, you know, yeah. nice hookup for the night, whatever, you know, have a good time. Music has that component as well. So it's not, music is like coffee in a sense, like that way where you go to coffee, but yeah, it's for the coffee, of course, but also it's for the place to sit where it's like, oh, hey, I ran into my friend Jeff. We're sitting out in public. And that's you got to think about those other aspects of music as well. Yeah. You know, that's that's kind of interesting, too, the scene perspective. Because, you know, I grew up in the scene spots like, you know, emo, mm-hmm. punk, all, all the different scenes. I grew up in Jersey and in New York and very scene areas. Um, and now what's kind of refreshing is that it doesn't feel you know, when I go to a concert, it doesn't feel like the scene. You know what I mean? Like you It's don't, not as clickish anymore. Yeah, you don't feel out of place anymore, which yeah. I like. It's like I used to joke, it's like, oh, you know where the rock concert's going or the emo yeah. show is. Just look for the sea of people wearing nothing but black and yeah, stuff. Yeah, black in the chain wallets. And yeah. I'm an individual, <laughs> man. I got my chain wallet and my black leather jacket. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like <Yeah>. everybody else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, exactly. It's like a bunch of anarchists showing up for a rally, right? Yeah, it's, it's yeah, like, exactly. Exactly. seems oddly organized for a bunch of people who believe in disorganized. But anyway, yeah, but but now it's kind of cool. Like, I feel like there is some sort of scene popping back up again. And, you know, I think that we're in a just a time, I, I think like everyone is a little, especially after the pandemic, everyone has a little bit of emo in them and stuff. Like, just like whether it's on, whether you're listening to pop music or hip hop or like it all... It's all starting to kind of like blend together in terms of the feel, right? And people mm. are connecting to that. And now the scene is where people are wanting to go and experience that connection together. Yes. Um, in different places. And and totally. And by word of mouth. Like word yeah. of mouth is a hundred percent like the best way to really connect with, you know, a band organic. Cause like if yeah. you just I don't know. It's like, oh, I heard this song, you know, I was shopping in Target and this song like just slaps. Like nobody's like, yeah, you know, yeah. This, I was I was getting my uh, my shampoo and this song came on. It's like, no, the ones that really like hit for people is like when someone just like, oh, you got to check out this band or whatnot. Yeah. I mean, my fiance, like I don't think she, lis- she we listen to a lot of the same stuff, but I don't think she would have ever discovered sleep token on her own mm-hmm. and now she's in the car like jamming out oh, with me that's to ever, great. yeah she, that's great <laughs> she loves it she absolutely loves it yeah so yeah well just that's the other thing too is like um sorry crackly ear mm-hmm. phone the other thing too is that gen z loves good music and they love all kinds of music so the good side of Spotify and the streaming services and all the et cetera 
is that music is music. And so I think we're at a time suddenly where music is actually on the uptick. Music appreciation is on the uptick. So contrary to what was being said before, it's like, yeah, there's so much music out there that people have to be given a reason to care. But one of the reasons that people can care is something you brought up earlier. If your record is so well-performed or authentic and well-captured, it's like putting lightning in a bottle. Some of the great performances are raw. Mm-hmm. But if it's authentic, if there's something about it that just like resonates, then that's music that's going to stick with you because that music gives you an experience. Yeah. And so that just comes down to me for like, you know, what we were talking before about preparation over preparation, not preparing. But it's, it's got to be in you enough. You got to get all the the layers of fear out of the way in order to be able to show up and just give your performance, your idea, your emo, whatever it is that you're performing. And when you can do that, I don't care if it's a house concert or a record, people stop yeah, and they pay attention. Yeah. Well, that's, that's probably what happens with those, those overnight, those 10 year overnight success stories, right? Mm -hmm. It's because they spent so much time that a lot of their performance, a lot of their translating to the audience their passion all that stuff has become muscle memory now right mm-hmm. they're not thinking about it so much they're just like hey we've been doing for this 10 years a language yeah, yeah it's become a language it's maybe even gotten to a point where they're doing it for the right reasons like yeah you know as a band i think as a musician you always start out doing it for the right reasons but then at a certain point you hit walls it's a marathon yeah. race right yeah. you know you hit your wall and then you have all these paths that you can go down you lose a band member you gain them back you do it's like you just go through all this growth and stuff and then eventually you get to a point where yeah you're just kind of comfortable you set into yourself and you just get out there and just do the thing you do it for yourself you know you play Mm -hmm. for like i think i think it might have been mike Patton who said that you know he always plays for himself first you know because he enjoys it he's like yeah you know, the hell with everybody well, else. And that also gets rid of the thing when there's like only 12 people at your show, you know, yeah. like then, then you're like, okay, I'm doing this because I want to do it first of all. So I'm just, I get to perform cool. And then you also sort of rehumanize those 12 people and go like, well, if this was 12 of my friends in my kitchen, that would be a lot of friends, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's, yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, hell, it's probably harder to, I mean, from my experience, it was harder playing for a room of a small crowd than it was a larger crowd, yeah. right? But, but still, even in that sense, it's like, yeah, you have to be able to put forth the same passion, the same energy for those 12 people as you would for a room full of 1200 or. Yeah connect with what's inside of you about the music or connect with each person in the audience. But everybody has a different way of performing. I mean, some people, it's very much about going back to that place where they wrote from and just giving that experience. For other people, it's about feeling the audience and and every night is different. You know, every performance is different. I think that would be Taylor Swift probably. She's very much about connecting to her audience. Yeah, well, that's that's the whole thing with this whole like eras tour and she has all these different albums that really just, it's an era, right? Like even Mm. of her own growth, Mm. right? And that's where like all these people who are really big fans of Taylor Swift, you know, she was, her songs are about going through stuff, right? That people can resonate. Mm-hmm. with can relate to yeah and they sort of went through it with her as she grew up they were growing up too and they were taking those songs and it was like this is what i feel too 
And right. it becomes it, the soundtrack for you. Yeah. And even if it wasn't, I mean, I know like my fiance tells me all that there's some songs that are just so like emo because like, even though she may not have gone through something like that, it's like you can relate, like you can kind of feel bad for the Like Hurt by Johnny Cash. Yes, that's like 100%. I I feel that, and I, I've never done heroin. <laughs> I never planned to, thank God. But seriously, that song is like it moves you. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's what I'm talking about. Like the emo. I mean, I believe the emo. It's much bigger and it's different now. But I feel like that there's this whole emo thing going on that's sort of permeating all different genres. Like I hear it in hip hop now, and. I hear it in, obviously, in pop music. It's always there and whatnot. But, I mean, you know, I went to When We Were Young last year, going again this year, and it just, I don't know, it just feels different now, you know? Like, a band I heard recently is The Young and Famous, or The Naked and Famous. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was like, shit, that was my band when I was 11. <laughs> like, that's what we sounded like, and shit. <laughs> like, But it's great to listen to. I fucking love it because yeah. it's... It's just, it's so like, it's, uh, it's emotional, it's pop, it's, it's produced, it's all these different things, you know? Yeah. And that's, and you know, there's so many ways to go about making music now too. I mean, so many different places you can go, you can come here, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. um, there used to be, you know, I had a, a professor in college who, who would talk about how the only difference between your A-level suite master studio at Universal or, you know, basically his closet mm -hmm. <laughs> is that they have a bigger machine that has a lot more blinky lights that just justifies <laughs> their ability to charge you like $100,000 for an album. I've got a few thoughts about that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> I mean, there's, it, it's, it's, it's. I mean, there's obviously there's there's plenty of, in other words, yeah, yeah. Tangent time. Okay. Yeah. The reason that that studio gets so much work is because they've set up a thing, and a sound and a workflow that's comfortable, and it can be repeated, and you can walk in and set up a vocal mic and sound platinum. Because yeah. Because of they, the engineer who built the place knows exactly where to have the person stand where exactly has the vibe, exactly what mic combo goes with what equipment. And so instantly you're sort of stepping into this, it's like 10,000 hours, but mm -hmm. 10,000 hours of a studio. Right. And I can get that sound in my closet if I know what I'm doing. Right. 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 And so if that's, I have just the right gear, you know, but it's definitely so that's, I not think, dependent on the gear. I think what, yeah, you're, you're right. You're right. I think... Maybe it's just two different schools of thought to some degree, and they're both right for the project and the artist. But I think what he was getting at was like, you, like there, you're getting the plugins, you're getting you're getting the the predetermined sort of stuff, which you still get that with producers and with audio engineers. Or, I mean, some of the best records that I've listened to have not been recorded in like a master studio. Oh, like absolutely. That, you know? Yeah, a lot of them were recorded in people's houses. I mean, some yeah. of the best records you've ever thought of. Yeah, yeah and you can still get a really high-end studio and stuff, but you're not 
getting like that high-end studio, the one that they're just going to say, oh, well, you hear this is, I mean, you're also paying for the people who have recorded there before, you know, it's like, yeah. oh, well, so-and-so recorded here and that's why. Yeah, and you're why... probably getting their second assistant, not the guy who made the hit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I worked with a guitarist on a record who said, it's not the, it's not the guy, it's the, it's not the ear, or sorry, it's not the gear, it's the guy. Yeah. And a lot of times some of the best guys can make a, a I mean, this drum setup that's in front of us right now, um, Rawl, who's works with the studio a lot, he has this way of like trying these minimal setups on drums. So if mm-hmm. you look, these are older mics that you wouldn't normally put on drums. That's what they're doing. And they're recording it to a four track tape. Yeah. And then putting it into Ableton. It sounds so dope. Yeah. Because it's just, you know, it's just getting sounds and it's the creativity of getting sounds. So if you get, you're right, you can come to a producer who's got, tons of credits and they're just sort of phoning it in they have their presets and they don't even think about what's going through their chain they just they just have their settings and they're not actually tailoring it to you yeah and that's yeah, well the, that's the, no yeah. Bueno. yeah the, hence the creativity that's where all the you know anyone can make spaghetti sauce <laughs> you know what i mean like it, it, like sure. but there's a certain there's a certain thing that you kind of have to like eyeball you know what I mean? Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so I, so I, I use that just because like I've, I've recently started making my family recipe. I used to be like terrible at it. But once I started to kind of like go off a little bit of off like the what's. Script. Off the yeah, recipe. So, so it's like there's like I'd have this super simple recipe that my grandma gave down to and like it's very basic. But then there are things that are just like not said that she just kind of like winks. She's like, eh, this is loose, you know, loose, yeah. <laughs> loose with this, loose with that. Exactly. Just kind of feel it out. Um, and I think that that's probably what has been missing a lot of times. Like, yeah, somebody says to me, what's the right compression setting for your vocal? I'm like, well, that's like saying how hard should you play your guitar? <laughs> yeah yeah everybody's different but at the end of the day it's the it, yeah it's the person i mean so also with your engineers or your producer or whatever like that's the most important ingredient i think just because i mean you know tom morello is another good example of he doesn't he isn't a big oh has to be this guitar or whatever like he was mm-hmm. so he played it i don't know if you know this or remember this but he played an entire concert for i don't even know how where it was exactly but he to prove his point played the whole show with a harmony electric guitar which i thought was great wow. because that was my first guitar it's like 140 dollar <laughs> guitar from sears um uh, nice. and he played it and it's not like what do you think people like showing up and like wherever it was like in Mexico City just like raging to rage against the machine was like man this sounds like a <laughs> like a harmony electric guitar <laughs> like i i i bet not many people really even noticed the difference i mean he had he like just strung it and he didn't even you know all the the strings were all frayed and everything and <laughs> he just destroyed it and so like i think that that's that's the whole creativity thing that is most important when putting out, well, d- doing anything um, yeah. to bring it <laughs> full circle. Because if you get so used to having just these drop downs, right, and just having That's that, right. yeah. then you have no ability to, at a certain point, where is the line, like, where do you start to feel a little bit like Millie Vanilli? 
where you know what I mean. It's Millie like, Vanilli was an '80s group where they found out that I just, the boys in the video were not actually the ones who were singing. It was two black chicks, and it I was just, these like really, like really good-looking black dudes who were supposedly singing and dancing in the videos. Yeah, yeah. That I just age myself. Um, I do Sorry, it all the I'm time just, because Gen Z loves music. I want to make sure if there's any Gen Zs listening. Yeah, they can no. go check out. There's actually some really dang good songs too because I like, good I like, writers I, write for groups like that. Yeah. Really good, like they've been honing songwriting for thirty years. Kind of writers write music for those groups. Yeah, no, yeah. E- exactly. But I mean, blame it on the yeah. rain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, and then, and I then, digress. and then, what happens? Um, or, or, well, to even to freshen up a little bit, Ashley Simpson was another example on SNL, which is like the worst like place <laughs> to have it happen, where the backing track just like skipped or like it messed up or whatever, and then. You don't know all what a, to do. You don't know how to improvise. Sudden, yeah, the man behind the curtain was pulled out on that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, I'm gonna have to reference that one on the show notes too. People aren't yeah. gonna remember that either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, yeah. Just I think that it's important for artists of all kind. An artist, uh, you know, obviously doesn't have to be just the musician. It can be anybody that's creating something. Which I think I believe that everybody is creating something or has the capacity to create something Mm, me too but um they either just don't give themselves the opportunity to do so maybe they're a little i I know like for me playing music you know i played in bands nothing too big or anything like that i probably could have gone further with it but i just don't think i was in a place where i wanted it to be for other people other than myself right you know like again it was kind of like cooking like you know, my grandmother used to say, like, oh, I could sell my recipes. I could do all this stuff. I don't know if it was true or not or whatever, but she used to say all that stuff. And her food is really good, but everybody's grandmother's food is great. But um, she'd be like, if you sold your recipe, you know, you're taking the love out of it. You know, it's, yeah. it's the thing. And yeah. And for me, you know, playing guitar, playing music was just always such a, I just get lost in myself with it. And yeah. it was very exposing and you feel naked with it and I know everyone can relate to that but yeah I just I never wanted it to be beyond that for some reason I just don't think I was like ready for it I guess at that time and I don't know it's never too late maybe maybe I'll start a band today (laughs) just because i've got an opening (laughs) nice um i actually was curious to talk about that intersection between business and art and business and music perhaps since we're talking about music i have started to see business as creative as well Mm -hmm. i think there's kind of an element of trying to figure out it's like science when you're like what's gonna happen if i mix this and this together and ooh, that did something cool oh let's try this now let's talk about that because a lot of artists today have to be entrepreneurs to succeed i mean that's kind of the landscape we live in at least freelance you know it's like you're either a freelancer for yourself or you're running it like a business like madonna was notoriously great business person Mm -hmm. and those are the people who are succeeding right now they understand the money side of it. They understand the getting fans to shows, the logistics and all those kinds of things. I know not every artist is cut out that way, but since we both are interested in business and since you've worked in the financial world, we've talked about Bitcoin and before NFTs, you had mentioned some use cases for that. We don't have to bore people because it's it's <laughs> yeah. like old news five minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but like, I mean, just forward thinking in terms of like, hey, you know, what can we make? How can we do something cool with this? You know? Yeah. You know, I've been thinking about this for quite 
sometime, I don't know, maybe since I got into this industry, the financial services industry, it's kind of, it's given me a little bit of a peek behind the curtain, not just the curtain of like the, you know, financial companies like, you know, banks and blah, 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 all that stuff, but like, but people, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and, and also the way things are, are moving and like, we're only just, I don't know, for the past maybe couple of years now, this whole like gig economy, right, is like yeah. the conversation that has been becoming more more and more prominent. But, you know, that, I mean, it's real, it's true. And, but the conversation still has kind of like almost like a negative, like, ooh, it's scary. You know, gone are the days of yesteryear when you can have a pension and just do this sure. one thing and do that. But now is an opportunity for people. It was like, if you, make money or can make money, then yes, you yourself are just like a band, right? You mm-hmm. are the business, mm. right? So yeah. that's how you need to look at everything you do in your life that has the p- possibility to make money is that, yeah, well, now you, you know, set up an LLC, set up five LLCs, have some money coming in through this. If you want to drive Uber for 10 hours a week, but then also be in a band, but then also, I don't know make coffee at this night. I mean, like you do have a lot of freedom now to kind of do multiple things. It is more on you. So like that is the conversation, right? Of like, oh, well, you know, who's going to take care of us and whatnot and all that stuff. And you have two different people that are saying one person group should take care of us. So it's like, well, at the end of the day, you have to do something. So just get out there and do stuff. And Mm. there's a lot of, I mean, the tools that exist today are oh my god uh, yeah it's just it's almost too much like so it's like where do you start but you know a really good example is just with ai you know that's obviously the big thing that's just taken over the conference that stole Mm -hmm. all of the oxygen out of the room from nfts and (laughs) and all that stuff which is great (laughs) to, to some degree and i think there's legitimate concern over ai and all that sort of stuff but it's just another format. It's just another thing. I mean, it's a, it's, you know, in financial services, right? We've had, there have been ways that you can go and make investments on your own. You don't need an advisor. You can go over the internet and buy life insurance from a bot technically and like Mm. all these sorts of things. But Mm -hmm. number one, it's not as easy. (laughs) Again, it's just an algorithm, Mm -hmm. right? And you start to realize that there are things that you don't want to use an algorithm for, but also if I'm just a barista at a Starbucks or whatever, I don't know any of these algorithms. I don't really know my risk tolerance. I don't know how much life insurance I need. I don't know if what they're telling me is true, all these sorts of things. But there are people that can use those as tools. It's just another tool to put in your belt. So if you master how to use, so that's the biggest conversation with AI that I see is people, you know, how do you leverage this technology for yourself? I mean, so writing copy for social media and stuff like that, that's a good potential use case and stuff. There's always going to be new things that come out. So Whatever it is that you do, if you're cleaning houses, if you're building houses, if you're destroying houses, whatever Mm -hmm. it is, I think that you have to be, yeah, you have to be resilient. You have to be able to kind of, it's muscle memory. It's like at this point, unless you are, I mean, if you're young, right, you don't have a whole lot of experience making money, right? So you don't have maybe 
that sort. But you do have a lot of the like, oh, I can do anything. You have that, you know. That, yeah, and a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of time. But I mean, if you've you've we've all at this point going through the pandemic, we've gone through a couple of financial collapses. You know, the world has fallen off a cliff like ten times in the past ten years. Everybody has been through some stuff, and mm. everybody has like you know figured out some ways to make some money maybe on the side or whatever so it's unfortunate to have to go through those things but like that's what it takes to really kind of build something or build multiple things and so i think that that's what i've done mm -hmm. <laughs> you know every left turn that i've taken has been extraordinarily hard. And I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, you know, I think everybody should go through hell and nearly die a couple of times just mm -hmm. to really... No, if I had someone that was like, hey, you want a loan? Or, hey, you want this? Or whatever. It's like, yeah, I would have taken that lifeline 100%. And it mm -hmm. would have been easier. And I mm -hmm. still would have done those things. But I think more people are in the position that I have been in of having to pivot. Mm. And being okay with that. And I think, I mean, this happened to me. I know plenty of people that I talk to. When you're in a position, you're doing something that you love or something that you want to do, you start to romanticize it a little bit. You start to sure. paint a picture of what it's supposed to look like. You want to, you want the journey to look a certain way, mm -hmm. not just the outcome. And when you're going down that path and you're like, oh, it's falling apart, you start to... I mean, I went to school. I got all these different degrees in music and stuff. And then once I started, like it, I probably was done with the music industry, at least in the sense that I was dealing with it at that time. I was done working for the labels, you know, and doing that stuff maybe years before I actually left, just because mm. it's like, you know, it's what happens when you're in a toxic relationship. You don't mm. want to let go. You don't realize. Yeah. And I think people can be in a toxic relationship and in, in themselves and just with the type of work that they're doing or something because they're just like, ah, it's got to pan out. It's like, if I just hold on long enough, it's got to work out. But I think people just have to be comfortable with themselves and just pivot, go to something else. They have to kind of relearn what they're actually good at. Like, what can they do? Yeah, I prayed for better weather. Now my thoughts are miles away. Thought that it'd be different here, but some things never change. I see the way I used to be, the way I used to care. These scars are still upon my back from the cross I used to bear. And every night I've been drowning in my dreams. Waking Soaking wet in my sheets And I'll keep my head above the water It's a long way down from anywhere I am And I hope I never touch the bottom I've come to
And it's not just one thing usually. And it all has a potential to be creative. Perfect example, I mentioned a podcast earlier, starting the podcast when I was needing a break from editing. Like, you know, I was like, okay, we got to do this editing. It's a part of the gig. But hey, let's do something fun first. And this has become a great creative outlet for me. And as I have been on this path of being on this diversion, I was able to learn how to step differently into my editing work and my music work in a way that let me relate to it differently. So you mentioned being on the journey and wanting it to look a certain way. And I make that like the idea of you're listening to what your mix sounds like in your head, but not what's actually coming out of the speakers. Right. And that's one of the things that when I started as a producer, that made me a terrible mixer because, I mean, the thing that makes me a great producer is I hear the record when they in pre-production. Like mm. when they're sharing the songs with me on a guitar saying, I think there should be a violin going right here, you know, like I hear the entire thing as if it's done. But then when I'm mixing, I actually had to learn to react to what is really there. Yeah. And I think that's what business teaches you is like, because it's so based on analytics and outcomes and things like that, you know, you, you really have to work with what you have, you know, what you have available and you have to be bold and know what you're going for and know to, like I say, ask for an investment in your business, say, but you have to have the business plan to back it up. You have to be like, we can project realistically that this is going to be feasibly possible to do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just when you work with people who have money, who work at those levels, you realize they make decisions differently than a lot of people do, especially than artists do sometimes. I mean, I think artists, it's easy to kind of get in this mode of like, just put me in a cave and shut the door for six months and let me come out with something. And I think that's good too. I think it's really good when an artist can go to a residency, um, like a painting residency where you just go live somewhere out in nature or whatever. I think it's really important to have that. But we do, we live in this weird mishmash or hodgepodge where it's like you simultaneously have to like learn to fully embrace your right brain and you have to somehow engage the left brain too. And it's that connection yeah. point between the two that sometimes like, ah, <laughs> how do I get these two things to work together? Yeah. And it we live in just such a an interesting time where you're just, people are just hammered with marketing in some way, shape or form mm. every single day. And I mean that even when, when you're, if you're on Facebook for even a minute and your friends and family or even they're posting pictures of, you know, uh, two seconds from their life. It's still, you know, it's That's someone else. It's, it's a form of marketing. Yeah. Someone <laughs> else is marketing to you and you, you become like, Oh, well, why not me? And then you start to, again, you just, you start to look at, it's like, Oh, well, I should be on this path by now, or it should be this or what it, for, for some reason, some sort of ideal got into your head about what your life should be, what your artistic process should be, what your business should be like all these things. And, it just takes a little bit of time for you to get to a place where you just say, you know, fuck it. Like, I, mm -hmm. I just need to I just need to get in the box and take the swings. I say like that flow state mentality, right? Yeah, it's like 100 percent. Don't worry about how many home runs you're going to hit this year. Just worry about getting in the box and taking the swings. Who cares yes. if you strike out all the fucking time? I mean, that's some of the biggest stats. I mean, we say like in my business, we always talk about it. it's like, you know, like a Hall of Fame baseball player only hits 30% of the balls oh thrown at him, right? Yeah. So that's that's an interesting perspective to take. It's like, I, I think it's just, 
I'm I'm hoping. I I actually think that it will do this, but like the pandemic, I think pushed people more into that place of yeah. you know, like they had no choice but to take risks. Yeah, right? like life is short, and I don't like where I'm living. <laughs> yeah. Like suddenly, if I was stuck in this house and I had to stay with my partner, do I want to be with this partner? Like if I'm stuck in the house with this partner and I can't see anybody else, is this worth? Is it yeah. worth it? And yeah. It, and it's such a big world. I mean, I I have a, a client I spoke to recently. I won't say much about them other than they are retiring. They're perfectly fine, but like you know, the cost of things that they like to do and all that stuff in California. They love California, but they're just like it's just a little too high. And we're just looking. We're looking at like this state and that state. And then my wife was just like. You know, she's originally from Belgium, I guess, from like you know, mm-hmm. decades and decades ago. And she's like, you know, there are other countries too. <laughs> <laughs> and what? they looked at like Spain and they found some like some land and like all this sort of stuff. Like, yeah, just <laughs> like there's really nothing. That... So it's. Yeah. And that's kind of Cal- that's kind of like California, too, in a way, like you find a place that has the things you like that are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's. You know, you have to... Have you ever considered playing polka? Polka? <laughs> <laughs> You're not making yeah. it in rock and roll, yeah. but you yeah. would slay it, polka. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's an existential uh, dilemma right there. <laughs> oh, man, that'd be hilarious. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but th- you have to be open to that. And I think it just takes time for people to go... And just kind of get beaten down a little bit here and there. And every success story, I mean, with the exception of what's her face and was it Theranos or whatever, the overnight success, the was it the lab where you do the lab tests or whatever? And it turned out to be this like this giant scam, like billions of dollars. And uh, I forget her name. It was a terrible reference, but I think it was Theranos was the name of the company. But that was like a literal overnight. Like this woman went from nobody to like Steve Jobs level status in like two hmm. years. Hmm. Well, turns out it was a giant scam and like <laughs> and dangerous to people and all that stuff. It's like, there's no such thing as a real overnight success story. I mean, sure. yeah. you know, even the person that just gets up on like an open mic night one time and just yeah. slays and then all of a sudden hits it, like you're like, oh my God, who's it? But you don't know that he's been going to open mics yeah. for like 10 years and has, you know. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, I think most people are probably over that by now, but this idea, I'm going to get discovered. I, yeah, I I think that there there are like everybody is it's kind of it's and they're not they're not entirely wrong because there is like more avenues for you to become i mean you know influencers right it's just become remember when yelp used to be the spot like it's like oh i do reviews and like people started to get like very cocky with the guys like oh i could take this place down if i give you a (laughs) one-star review i feel like that's what most people like People have gotten to a point where they're like, oh, I can get discovered. It's like, no, people think that if they have just a thousand followers on a platform that they are, you know, in control of other people's business and uh, destinies. And I mean, to some extent, they're not wrong, unfortunately, because that's the whole business, right? It's like you want people to, you don't want bad reviews. You don't want people to have a, Mm. you know, so if you have 
one person that had a bad experience and their reach is a thousand people, well, that's a thousand people that might not like your thing. So it, it becomes a whole thing. I sort of look at music as hopefully this anti-shallow, if you do it right. Like artistry, if you can get in and get to that raw place where you're doing your inner work and you're writing about what's real to you and you're being emo as you're talking about, you know, yeah. you're being real. People are relating to it and going, I like you because you're not perfect. Yeah. I like you because you're real. And I think that's what the antidote to all the AI, artificial, everything, all of the influencer, you know, Instagram perfect, blah, 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 bullshit. Like go in and do your artist way. Go in yeah. and do your morning pages and journal and make something inside that resonates with you that's real for you and make it only for you. And yep. be on the path of sharing that with others because other people need to hear something that they can relate to, you know, in the same way. And I think when you find that genuine place within your art and something that you make because, and you know, hey, like your style might not be in right now, but in the example of the band that you mentioned, I mean, they've been at it for 10 years. How many styles has come and gone in 10 years, right? And come back, yeah. yep. you know, I worked with a band that did a killer record. They were hard rock, kind of borderline metal. And when they first, when I met them, they were electronic metal. They mm -hmm. had this a little bit of electronic in it. And they said, fuck it. We're tired of not making it. Sorry, band, I was share this, but so I'm going to share it because you're going to laugh. You're all you're going to laugh. We're tired of not making it. <laughs> <laughs> so fuck it. We're just, Nickelback is the biggest band out there. We're going to sound like Nickelback. Thank God the record we made didn't sound like Nickelback, but here's what happened. We made a badass desert rock record, and it's still like people who know of it, the few people that I know who know about it, remind me of how good this record was that I helped them make. But like, we should have put more keyboards in it because literally in like two, the month that their record came out and they were shopping to hundreds of labels, literally Imagine Dragons broke mm. with Radioactive, which was electronic rock. Yeah. And if we had just put a tad more keyboards in there, I bet you they would have gotten a bite. And but now, like 13 years later, right, or 12, 12 years later, 11, 12 years later, however long it's been, right, the style that they're doing is it sort of came back around like once or twice. So if you're um, nickel uh, nickelback pontification, oh, okay. no, what's, oh, oh. what's your band that you mentioned earlier? Oh, uh, sleep token. If you're sleep token, yeah, then you might make something that is authentic to you that the world's not ready for yet, or is they don't understand yet. But as you go along, so does time, so does the audience, so does the rest of the music world. And eventually, by staying in your lane, like doing what you like to do, eventually that's gonna have this point of like critical mass because the the trends are gonna move. If you're chasing the trends. If you're trying to sound like someone else because you want to be famous or popular or have a million views or whatever, chances are you're always going to be behind. You're never going to hit the moment that way. Yeah. It's like trying to play the market. Yeah. It's exactly like trying to, you're going to sell at all the wrong times and you're going to lose yeah. your shirt. Yeah. No, you got, you got to, you got to buy what you know and just double down every time. If you truly believe in it, if you really believe in it, whatever it is that you're doing creatively, then you just have to. You just buy into the process. I mean, like with bands, there has to be sort of like this, I don't know, this relationship with your audience too, because yeah, you're creating music that you love, but you're trying to create it for other people too. Like you mm -hmm. want it for other people, right? So 
you kind of have to be able to take some sort of feedback. It doesn't necessarily sure. have to be critical or anything bad like that, but that's how you hone. You see what really vibes with that and you play to that crowd. So even if, you know, going back to that example of like you're playing in the coffee shop or whatever for 12 people or whatever mm-hmm. it is, the thing is, is that you have another show, those same 12 people, you want to make sure those people still come back. Even if you have a thousand people that show up next time, you want to make sure those 12 people still come back. And those 12 people, if you have a thousand people, you're sure they'd be like, I knew them when they were just like, there's 12 of us in right. a coffee shop. Yeah yeah. 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 It's not only that, but like, I've been to so many shows where, you know, th- there's energy, right? And like, yeah. when you're starting out, you're not going to be headlining right away, right? So your job, just like if you were a, a you know, comedian, right? You're there to bring the energy up, right? Yes. So like, that's, first of all, how you're going to get further as a band is you have to really toss a bone to the band that's coming after you yeah. by getting the crowd lively. And the only way you do that is if you have people, even if it's just a small handful of people that are just hardcore into you, Right. Then those are the people that are going to be jumping at the concert. They're the people that are going to be, you know, getting because and people, they're going to help you raise the energy. You yeah. Because I'm going and everyone else is going to be like, man, what's he having? I want that. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. It's like when you go to a concert, I've been to so many concerts where <laughs> I don't know who's playing. I don't know them mm-hmm. at all. But there are a couple of people I'm like, oh, this is, you know, you remember that or you see them and they it, it gets your energy going. Like, I mm-hmm. mean, people are just naturally kind of follow that when there's energy at a crowd it's not like people are just like no fuck that i'm gonna sit down yeah no it's if people are standing up you're gonna stand up right you know that's that's what happens well and actually that's the magic of it that's the the invisible art of doing is if you see the crowd as energy and you're working the energy so like i'm glad you mentioned comedy because in terms of left turns i want to make that hard left soon (laughs) um but also like when you mentioned learning from feedback, right? So you don't want to learn from like harsh, brutal feedback, although you can. But and what I mean when I would say that would be like, if you have a six or seven song set, which of those seven songs got the best reaction? Right. Which ones are the crowd favorites? Which ones are they already always asking for? And why? You might ask somebody who said, oh my God, you played my favorite song. It means so much to me. Ask them, what is it that you like about this song? Yeah. Oh man, your voice just sounds really good when you go up to the high note. Or like you talked about heartbreak and it just felt so real to me, right? Yeah. So then it's like, oh, my writing's sitting right. You know, it might be, God, the drummer is incredible, right? And so if your drummer is a superstar and you have room for that in your band, then write songs around that. Like yeah. fucking Neil Peart, you know, like Rush. <laughs> you know, that's it's, seriously. And that's not going to fit everywhere, but if you have a strength play to it, you know, and you've got yeah. something that's working, and it doesn't mean that you have to pigeonhole yourself, because a lot of bands do get tired of playing the same songs over and over again, and they want to try different things creatively. But it's like there are, I can name a ton of things that are probably authentic to you as an artist if we sat down one-on-one, and I could point out, well, this is something you like, this is something other people also like. And yeah. that feels good. You know, and then the maybe the areas where you're getting consistent feedback of like, yeah, this is what's this is what didn't work for me. This is what's holding me back. People won't always say it, but like a producer will say it, you know, manager will say it. Different people who have professional opinions to trust that are also constructive will say, Hey, you know what's really holding you back is this song's not in your key. Right. And that's gonna turn an audience off. If you, you just transpose the song down a whole step and suddenly you can nail it, like people aren't going to have that discomfort of 
oh, he's really trying, and I really wanted to hit that note. I kind of just, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it, it's, um, yeah. I mean, I think that there's, it's just kind of like an identity thing, maybe with some bands or some artists, as where you're, you know, you, you reach that crossroads. It's like, okay, maybe, yeah, you're like, oh, it's not really hitting, you know, our keyboard. It's just not, not vibing it's like okay well who do you want to be like what band do you want to be do you want to be the band that's just going to completely tear down everything just you're just going to go where the market is right or are you going to create the market right, right. are you gonna yeah you know? and so um like macklemore and ryan yeah. lewis yeah yeah <laughs> freaking yeah 100 breakout creatively like so totally different yeah and still doing their same brand of stuff you know i yeah. saw them with imagine dragons last year actually with my son so yeah i mean that's kind of it and again i i guess you can use that with anything it's like are you going to go with the market or are you going to be the market right so mm. even if you are just ordinary you know person whatever quote unquote you can invest in ideas that other people have had mm -hmm. and you can make really good mo money doing that yeah. right or you can create your own you can be a new part of the market you can create some things and get in there and people will invest in you invest in your ideas or you can do both which you, you could be honest and say i don't care what i'm playing and as long as i'm singing yeah. And, you know, then find out what people like to hear and sing that. Like, seriously, if you're a singer and you're like, I don't care, it's just using my voice and I'm making people happy, then it's like sometimes you can fall into something that you don't have to reinvent the wheel, right, right? stylistically. And maybe that what's unique about it is that you're giving your whole heart into like, I just love to sing. And everybody knows that. You're giving them the gift of your singing and everybody relates to that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, I mean... Um... Hell, I guess maybe to some extent, um, like the the last uh, the the tool record that came out not too long ago. I mean, that took what ten years, literally, <laughs> to to come out with. But it was because of like the artistic process, right? And mm. and there's been all sorts of back and forth as to why it was such a complicated thing. But at the end of the day, when you get a lot of very genius musicians in one room and, and all have their way of kind of doing stuff with that type of music yeah it'll be kind of a problem but i mean most of the music like maynard was waiting for the music to be done first before he would just come in and be like you know and that's an example to mm. me of someone that just likes to sing like he'll mm. sing over anything right mm. you give him something mm -hmm. he was just waiting for the product to be done so that he can kind of come in and vibe with it and get his cadences and all those sorts of things. Well, that's you know? another thing. I've had <clears> projects <throat> that were three, four, five years ago that suddenly like they were on a shelf and then suddenly it was the time for it. Yeah. And if you here's the thing. If you're an artist and you're working on a lot of different things, then it doesn't matter if something else is sitting on a shelf for a while. That's a project that's waiting for its day. And it's yeah. not like I'm sitting around dying on the vine, not doing anything. I'm doing plenty of things. I'm working on other stuff. And, you know, maybe it was just the right collaborator came around now. And now it's time. Oh, that song that I wrote back then. Whoa. they, they Now I have the right person to play with me on it. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's just you just have to. I mean, someone told me once a long time when I first was kind of starting in the financial services side of things, because I was basically just starting a whole new business from scratch, just like kind of doing that. And it was like any other startup, really. It's just mm -hmm. like, it was tough. Mm. And the advice was super simple. I got from someone that like manages like a crazy amount, like ungodly amount of money, you know, doing well, basically approaching retirement, all that stuff. I'm like, yeah, well, 
I'm sure you get this all the time and I don't even know why I'm asking it because I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know, but it's like, what's the secret? Well, how did you get to where you are? And he was like, honestly, just stick around. Like anything that, that is you're mm. doing, you just have to stick around. You just have to do it long enough. And I think to yes. your point with that, it's like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. So, but in order to stick around, you have to do multiple things. Right. You yeah. know, because yeah. I mean, there was also, I forget his name. Oh, in college, we had a speaker that came who basically works for DC now. Is DC a comic. Comics. Yeah. Yeah. And he's basically an inker, mm. <laughs> so to speak. He just kind of does the outlines of all the comics and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. he would talk about like his struggles for forever about like literally living under a bridge for a little while. And like he's, he was just mm. like, he just could do this one thing and he wanted to make it work. Mm. But he said his whole thing was like, yeah, I've, I made it is like, but I nearly died twice. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yes. and, and he was like, so it was funny because in the speech, it almost sounded like he wasn't sure how, which way he was going to go with his conversation. He was just mm -hmm. like, as an artist, you kind of have to be willing to die for your art because that's what makes it so valuable. Mm -hmm. Right. But at the same time, you know don't die <laughs> you know what i mean like he still found way like other means to kind of hold himself up. i mean it's this whole thing like you know move out to hollywood right and every yeah. person in hollywood is an aspiring actor right yeah, who's let's also bring a bucket of sand to the beach so that it get discovered <laughs> yeah uh, look at this awesome sand that i brought from michigan or whatever missouri yeah but i mean i mean to, to that point though it's like i mean sometimes that's exactly how it works i mean yeah. if you brought white sand from Boracay and the philippines or whatever uh -huh. to here and just the right person at the right time just happened yes. to sit there and was like, what is, why is this patch different? Right. And ask somebody and like, get me to that person. But that's, that's how it works a lot yeah. of times too. Well, so like, there's a luck factor to it too. There's an, and, well, and, that's what I was getting at. And people, yeah, some people have just a cultivated sense of luck that they don't think too hard about. And that's part of the luck. And then other people have the opposite. Like they've intentionally, unknowingly cultivated their sense of like negativity or <laughs> yeah. yeah well i i think that there's this kind of a saying i don't I, I can't attribute the quote properly but it's you know success is where opportunity meets preparation right i believe that opportunity is just like the wind it just flows constantly for it's every, all opportunity us. every single day for every single person if it doesn't happen then as sort of like meh, as it sounds is like then it just wasn't meant to be and the reason why it wasn't meant to be is because you weren't prepared you weren't ready mm. for it you weren't ready to even recognize it you weren't mm. ready to wield it or or do something with it and so that's where those like shelved projects make sense i mean a band that i used to really like story of the year mm -hmm. <laughs> they had a couple songs they were like big at the moment and then they just kind of like trickled off 10 years ago and they just released their first album in almost 10 years I think mm -hmm. and it's amazing it's probably the best album they've ever recorded but because the timing the timing works for the sound that they're doing that's you know? right yeah and so it, it's okay to take time and just work on other things keep and the creative staying power that band people have heard of before because yeah. they had a record 10 years ago. And so it's got that familiarity when you say story of the year. Oh, I know them. You know, I don't know from how long ago they, when you mentioned their name, I didn't realize they yeah. weren't big right now. Like I just, oh yeah, I know them. Like, <laughs> yeah. And sometimes there's, there's so many different things, especially with music. It's, you know, uh, who you're, could be who you're signed with and, and the influences because everything is influencing you. 
as an artist, right? Yeah. You just want to lock yourself in a room away from everything and not, but even before you get in that room, there's already so many people that are in your head and in your ear and in your hearts that are trying to influence like, oh, well, we need money. It's like, you know, we got, we got to eat. You have a kid and all this yeah. sort of stuff. Or you have a manager who's just like, hey, we need to get you out here. We need to make you money. And yeah. like, you know, people that are just like reinforcing this whole like, hey, you're broke. <laughs> <laughs> How long do you want to be broke for? You know, labels, even small labels or whatever, right? I mean, they're at the end of the day, if you're a band and you're signed anywhere, you're still an investment, right? That's so right. you have yeah. people that are trying to be like, hey, well, they got to make their money back and they got to make you money. That's, yeah. It's like, it's hopefully if it's a healthy relationship, you admit, you call the spade a spade. It is what it is. Yeah. They need to make money. I need to make money. So when you're writing your deal, yeah. you just look at it that this needs to be a win win. How much am I willing to give up for the exchange for the work that they're going to do to make me big? And right. how am I going to show up and do my best work so they have something good to sell? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. If you look at it, and that's where the business aspect comes in. The other thing is, too, from what you mentioned earlier, is that to me, the gig economy, like you mentioned, freedom. Mm -hmm. The freedom to go say, hey, I'm going to pick up just a shift today and just jump in a Lyft or Uber. Right? Like, that's flexibility where you don't have to spend eight weeks looking for a job suddenly you can just, okay, I need to make this money and I can make the gig tonight. Great. Yeah. Like that is huge. And there are so many side hustles that you can figure out, you know, that help you not burn up your love of the art because it's yeah. maybe something different that is, gives you a little complimentariness of that. And it's like, Hey, I can take the pressure off the art here. I can make some money thing. But like, I know a lot of artists who are like, you know, the nine to five job that you would have to stay at for 15 years, whatever, look for retirement. That's like death. Yeah. Like every time, so this is like my wife and I are different. Every time like I look at a job posting and they mention like a retirement plan and like health benefits, I like run the other way. And she's like, oh, hon, this job has health benefits. Yeah. I'm like, well, you already haven't. I don't, you know, I already have that. Like, don't, you know, because yeah, she's it's... got a steady job. I'm like, why do I need two health insurances? Like, that's not what I'm looking for. Yeah. It's, you know? it's, it, monotony is death to me. I've, yeah. I've had those jobs too. And I respect them. And it, it's tough in my perspective just because it's i mean on one end it's like it's nice to be off the clock you know what i mean mm -hmm. like the, those are those mm -hmm. those rare ones where i was like oh, it was nice to just be like hey I'm, it's I, the weekend I, I clocked out man i can't everyone's do, like tell me happy friday you know <laughs> oh yeah what are your plans for the weekend and like i'm still on wednesday like fuck it's friday i got so much left to do like i don't i'm not a want ready to relax i'm ready to work you know yeah yeah it's like uh, <laughs> sometimes i'll be like hey if i have my phone then i'm on the clock and yeah. it's like sometimes i shut that thing off but you know <laughs> um but yeah no i mean they're there's that freedom, there's that flexibility, but you know, there's a cost to everything. I mean, there, mm. you can't have your cake and eat it too, no matter what. I mean, there's. You can being, if you have a multi dimensional time travel machine. Uh, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, we're working on that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah, it's one of those things where you really can make money doing just about anything. I mean, and the nice thing is that you could not know how to do a particular thing that you just know people are making money. I mean, you could, I don't know, if you need money, like maybe you can, uh, I don't know, say, I want to clean houses. 
or something mm-hmm. like that. Or mm-hmm. I want to like help people move or, mm-hmm. I mean, there's like if it's truly something you don't mind doing. Yeah. A, a task yeah. that you know, it's you like feel you can do gym time. Yeah. Like <laughs> instead of paying for a gym, I'm going to help people move and like, I'm going to get buffer and look good or better at my shows. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you could do that. I mean, there's, there's a billion different things that you can do. You can make some money while you're doing the thing that, but for God's sakes, love. don't help people move if it's going to like throw your back out and you're not going to be able to do yeah, the show, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, you got to be, you gotta yeah. be choosy. It's got to be like symbiotic. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. yeah, do some less strenuous activities maybe, I guess. But I guess the point is you have to be versatile. You have to, have to be able to do other things. And I think going back to why I kind of transitioned out of the music industry, I didn't do like a hard transition. I went to more like emerging technology, working with startups in like that sort of space. So there was like a green left turn arrow. There wasn't like a... Yeah, I didn't go to... Oncoming, like, you know, I have just a quarter second to make this... Yeah, I still worked in music, but I worked in music technology and Mm -hmm. that sort of space. And then emerging tech and startups and stuff. And then, you know, that's when I quickly learned that startups are just like bands <laughs> they all think they're Explain. the next google Explain. you know yeah. they're offering you it's like i i worked at startups that offered me stock in a company that is never gonna go public right it's like uh-huh. oh well, cool i can i'll make sure i take back this to my home and you know we can carve this up and eat this on the dinner table right <laughs> you know just like all these lofty promises and yeah it's like hey well if you help us do this stuff then you know exposure yeah it's <laughs> yeah experience and you know it works and and all that stuff for people and whatnot but at the time it just couldn't work for me and so mm. at the end of the day i realized it's like you have to find some things that you're really good at make money doing it because if you're really good at it, someone's going to pay you to do it for them as well. Mm-hmm. And that should allow you the time, the, the space to be able to do some of the things that you really want to do. Even if it is just, if it's just painting a picture like a couple hours a week or writing a song a couple of hours a week. I mean, you don't want to be stuck in something where you're just so exhausted by life that you're just not going to put anything into it. Like you just mm-hmm. don't want to be, you know, that's where that nine to five becomes that like sort of hamster in a wheel. And I mean, yeah. I know that there are plenty of people out there that are working like essentially two nine to five jobs. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and it's that's hard just, to make anything happen artistically. That's when just that the hardest on. thing. Yeah. yeah. You, you have to kind of step back a little bit, I think. But yeah. Well, I mean, that's the other thing, too, is that if you're doing something that gets you connections, it, not necessarily, connections is the wrong word. If you're doing something that gets you around people mm-hmm. and you're meeting people all the time, you're meeting different kinds of people all the time, sometimes those relationships can turn into opportunities that you didn't realize. Oh, so 100%. it's like rather than sitting at home in your bedroom doing nothing or just working on songs all the time, if you're working on dope songs, and you're doing Lyft or Uber and you're meeting people, you know, and you happen to meet someone who you really hit it off with and they happen to know so-and-so, they invite you to this concert and that's where right. you meet this promoter or whatever. That's how life uh, really grows. A, th- you know? a thousand percent. I, I would argue, I was thinking about this the other day, in my opinion, the only real value to going to college mm-hmm. is the network. Yeah. And whether it's like a formal network, like, oh, I went to Harvard. And it's like, oh, we all went to Harvard. Cool. We're obligated mm-hmm. to do whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the people that you meet 
you know, through that. And, and there's like a connection. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's yeah. a connection there, whatever. But that's the value. Although I'd say it's overpriced uh-huh. <laughs> for that network. But well, it depends on which yeah. echelon of society you're shooting for, you know. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah. if you're trying to be a musician, probably Harvard's not the best. No, no, yeah. yeah. But I mean, people, of course, go to Although Juilliard Berkeley, and all that stuff and Berkeley yeah, and they uh-huh. do really well. That's totally yeah. fine. I'm not Gallarts. talking about them. They're yeah. They're excluded, obviously. But even still, it's network. Yeah, right, because absolutely. I would argue that a lot of those successful musicians who went to well, everybody in Dream Theater, if they went to, I don't know, Northeastern in in Boston, you know, just like a couple miles the other direction, or didn't even go to college. I don't know. You can't say because it didn't happen that way, but I believe they would have figured it out. I think they mm-hmm. would have been okay, but. You know, having that network and that connection is important. And I think, like as you were saying, you do other things. You it's you will always run into people. I mean, that's the mm-hmm. thing where, like, in doing what I've been doing for the past, like, how long has it been? Like almost ten years now, in the financial services sector. Yeah, I've run into so many different people. You know, super high net worth people, actors, musicians you know, your plumbers, your Starbucks baristas, like everybody. And it's, it's a really fascinating way to really get to know like people in a different way than what you're seeing on social media, what you even see, like, so you get an interesting perspective on, on, I think on people, at least my experience has, has been that. And yeah, at the end of the day, it's still networking. Like everybody's looking to network. I mean, I don't care how much money you have, how much stuff you have. You're always looking for new people to connect with and stuff. And so yeah. as long as you find ways to latch onto that or to to get into that, then I think that's what's going to set you up. Well, and also you like mentioned Berkeley. One of the other things that you could be getting out of Berkeley is mentorship the opportunity to work with people who are right. masters at jazz, right. masters at their crafts or songwriting and things like that, looking for ways to get opportunities to be around specific people who have specific skills to impart that you want to sure. learn. Let's take a hard left sure. at Jeff. <laughs> yes. The club for Jeff. Oh, the, oh, you want to... <laughs> 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 yeah, no. So, okay. All right. Well, so I still do this, but I... And I actually recommend everybody does this. But if you have a journal or something, and now even on your phone, if you have a random idea, just write it down. So I've been for years, I've, I just have stupid ideas sometimes. And I not so low key am like just waiting for that perfect stupid idea that's just so stupid. It's like, it's fun and awesome and may make a shit ton of money. Yeah. So that's what I'm trying to find. So, you know, you can't win the lottery if you don't play, right? (laughs) (laughs) And so I've always had this, like, issue, not really, but, like, you know, my name's Jeff. Jeffrey is a very, I mean, it gets made fun of all the time in movies and stuff. It's hilarious to me or whatever, Mm -hmm. but it's such a, like, innocuous kind of whatever name. It's like a generic name. Yeah. 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 It's like if someone was, like, on the spot and didn't want to give them their real name, they was like, what's your name? I'm... Uh, Jeff. Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> Just throw it out. <laughs> and so I always wanted like a superhero name or something like that. Like I always liked my last name and I always felt like they kind of didn't really like gel well. Anyway, that's the history. So I don't remember what was going on. I Oh, I was trying to go to a conference or pay to go to some like financial services conference. 
And usually, I think it's like 40, maybe 30 or 40,000 people usually go to it worldwide sort of thing. And it's just a conference. It's a once a year thing or whatever. And I qualified for this thing and I was excited to go. It was right here in the backyard, whatever. And it sold out within a couple of hours. And I was just like, damn. I was like, I really wanted to go to it. But then I started doing the math. I was like, how much money do they make in that short period of time? And what did they really do? They have, they just rented out, you uh-huh. know, a convention center, put up some tables, got some people to speak and just whatever. I'm like, man, I could do some shit like that. It's like, there's conventions for everything. So <laughs> I started thinking, I started thinking, and then I was online and I don't know, some, it it just occurred to me that I just run into Jeff's all the time, like all (laughs) kinds of, like there's a Jeff, I'll run into one on my way home now, at least maybe two probably, (laughs) but so many Jeff's. And I made a joke, I think online. I was like, you know what? It's like, of course your name is Jeff and you do this. I was like, you know, I think I'm going to start like a networking group of only Jeffs. Like (laughs) nobody else is allowed in. Your only requirement to be a part of this club is you have to be named Jeff. Um, (laughs) And then I got got a a decent response from it. And so I started, you know, thinking about it. I brought it up to a friend of mine. I brought it up to you and all this. I said, you know, what if I was able to create a convention (laughs) and I honestly, if I have enough money, if I could do it, I'll do it just so this can happen because I think it would be hilarious and it would just be a highlight of my life is I want to be at a massive convention where there's just a sea of people. You know, when you're coming down that escalator, right? And you just see everybody (laughs) there, they got their name tags on. I just want to see just a sea of people with a name tag that says Jeff. (laughs) And I just want to be like breezing by those conversations. Hey, I'm Jeff. Nice to meet you. I'm Jeff. What do you do? You know, like I brought it up to a friend. I was like, yeah, maybe I should like do like a mockumentary, like just in the pursuit of trying to do it. And our main goal is to get Jeff Bezos as our keynote speaker. Oh, wow. (laughs) And that could be fun. Better and better. That could be fun. So, you know. Wow. I think he'd do it too. Maybe. Maybe. I'd hope so. It'd be fun trying. (laughs) Imagine me just tr- getting hold of like his assistant. I mean, hey, if, if yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm here to talk to Jeff. Like about what? It's like, come on. <laughs> I mean, if you if you shoot for Jeff Bezos and you get Jeff Goldblum, you, you know, done good. Yeah. yeah, you know what's that saying, right? Aim for the moon, Is miss it, and wind up among, among the, stars. the stars. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's that's my life. <laughs> So you're kind of in this mode where you're you've been doing this financial service thing for a while. You're daydreaming about maybe your music, like studies in music, like getting back into music for the right reasons. Maybe you talked about the idea of, I mean, when are you going to do it? When are you going to do, do a stand up night? <laughs> I don't know. I always, I think there are too many people in my life that would be too nervous of me to it, <laughs> only because of just like, you recycle material from the people, the closest people. No, you know. no, just I might say something that they would be like, oh, why'd you talk about me or some shit or why'd you talk about, it? you know mm. what I mean? Like that sort of stuff. But it's more like I always, my joke usually, and it's not really a joke. I'm kind of serious about it. It's like if everything just, just leveled, right? Like everything just went to shit. I mean, everything <laughs> in my life went to shit. Then... I will start stand-up comedy because I feel like at that point that's a good it's a good launching point. I know that there's some comedians that say, "Oh, you know, comedians aren't just a bunch of depressed, anxiety-ridden, you know, all this sort of stuff." It's like, well, you know, when they have a lot of money, yeah, sure, a lot of that stuff does go away for some, but 
it it is pretty common that a lot of stand-up comedians they're speaking about true life experience and yeah. most I believe most really good art like even in music comes from pain and misery like I mm-hmm. mean how many songs just like really transcend and, and make someone's life so much better but it, it's written from someone who is like inches away from just you know being done with everything you know what I mean mm-hmm. like so mm-hmm. you know that's kind of like the beauty in it and so I think in, in my way it's like I like the idea of if life got so bad for me that it would be awesome to take that experience, my own personal experience, and turn that into what I think is magic of getting up in front of a room and translating that into laughter and joy on the other end. I think Mm. that's such a cool thing that happens in comedy that I'm just like absolutely obsessed with. Mm -hmm. So like I'm half serious about like maybe doing it one day and you're never too old. I mean, maybe when I retire, (laughs) maybe when I'm 65, I'll finally be like, hey, (laughs) what's going on kids (laughs) like Rodney Dangerfield (laughs) yeah exactly Rodney I mean there's so many people that started super super late with those things but I mean that's just kind of like a fun thing I just enjoy and you know at this point I'm not willing to take the 10 years it takes to become known for stand-up comedy and stuff like that I just a really avid lover of it what about the open mic approach maybe I mean you know, I like talking. I, I like making people laugh. So I don't, I mean, I might, I'll just do that just wherever I am. You know, I just kind of, I'm trying to think of it as like, yeah, maybe, maybe I'll just have that approach to everything that I do. Wherever I'm at is like an open mic. Like I'm not always going to be like on, you know, mm-hmm. as they say, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna be like Robin Williams where I'm just doing a shtick every two seconds. Right. Rest in peace. Uh, yeah. But, you know, maybe, maybe one day I'll do it if I have enough material. I still, I I write stuff occasionally, like little, like joke premises, which maybe there'll be a joke or maybe, you know, I've thought about like, I'd love to be a part of a movie making process or something, you know, like Mm -hmm. any of that stuff. I, I think generally speaking, it's just creative, having a creative outlet, like doing something creatively or some things. Yeah. Creatively is what I'm craving at this particular point. Right, right. So if there were anything you could leave the audience with and this conversation getting to know you a little bit, I mean, I haven't asked you about your life story for one. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we could be here for another two hours and do that. But I mean, if there was something you would want to share to kind of bring it on home. Uh, Something to share that isn't something they've heard before. I, I don't know. I think that it's really just you have to be willing to with everything that you do just be willing to fail i mean it's been said a whole bunch of times but like be okay like almost be excited to to fail it because like that's how the best discoveries are made is by accident anyway and i feel like my life all of my successes up until this point have been just a series of happy accidents Mm mm-hmm and you just have to kind of like sometimes let the body lead because like you get in your head sometimes yeah. and you overthink things, right? Or your anxiety, you know, or if you're depressed in the moment or whatever, just kind of just know, like almost like set, like know yourself. Know that like if you're in a situation where you're depressed or whatever, you know what you do. 
when, mm-hmm. when that happens, right? Mm-hmm. What do you do? You, you close off, right? You don't do anything. You don't put yourself out there. It's like, those are the times when you should, right? Right. Because you're the most susceptible to, you know, trying something different or whatever. And, and just do that as an exercise. And I feel like that's what I've done to get me to where I'm at and to keep me on the trajectory of where I'm going is, is, you know, never give up really. I mean, mm-hmm. my fiance is a good story. I won't get into the whole thing, but I mean, it it's, it's one of those like almost, <laughs> it's more of a seven year, but like a seven year overnight story. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I just, fell in love with her the first second I saw her. She didn't even know who the hell I was. Mm. Took years to just for the opportunity to to, you know, to work out. And I feel like that's with everything. It's like mm. you just if there's something that you really like or want, just do it. I mean, just don't give a shit about what anybody else thinks. Just do it. And I think the thing that translates the most is when you're happy doing something, it shows. And not just to you, but to everybody else. And they say like negative energy really like sucks people in. Well, you know what? Like positive energy really pushes out and and it also has an effect on people. So so just, you know, just be that. Mm -hmm. Just do that. And Mm -hmm. if all else fails, try stand-up comedy. (laughs) I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) I'd go see you. I'd go see you perform. And, you know, maybe your goal should be to just like go up there and try to bomb. Yeah. Just, you know, like... Well, I'm I'm sure. I sh- well, that's a yeah. That's that a would good, be you, funny. Yeah, you, that, that's good. You know, set reasonable expectations. If I try to bomb and I achieve and it, you I'd be failed like, hey, at I, bombing. I, I, yeah, <laughs> that'd be great. That'd be a good fuck up. <laughs> well, Jeff, it's very nice to get to do this with you. Thanks for being on the Language of Creativity podcast, Jeff Seraphine. Are you on socials? Do you care to share your socials? Uh, yeah, your website, and, yeah. Like I'm on I'm on Instagram. It's Jeff Leopard Seraphin. Nice. <laughs> at Jeff Leopard Seraphin. That's a good pun. Yeah. Yeah. You can follow me there if, if you're so inclined. That's pretty much the only one I really use Perfect. these days. But Perfect. Uh, yeah. Cool deal. Well, yeah. I'm glad this worked out. Thanks for coming in uh, yeah. last minute. And uh, this was really worthwhile. If you subscribe to the podcast, that really helps us grow. If you share the podcast, this helps us grow even more. And if you really love the show, please write a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, and that really, really helps the people find other creatives like them. And don't forget to enjoy whatever it is that you're doing and let that be the thing that makes you keep going. All right. I'm Stephen Levitt, and this is the Language of Creativity Podcast.